how you decide to cover a story, who gets included, you know, which sound bites you choose. It kind of like there's endless choose your own adventure moments, I guess, when pursuing any given story. So, you know, sometimes you're going to have disagreements. Hello and welcome to Here in L.A., Palms Edition. Today we chat with Spectrum News One's morning anchor, Kate Cagle. Kate is a TV journalist, a USC Trojan, a mother, and a wife. She was kind enough to allow us into her beautiful home in Palms, where we talked about the walkability of her hood, what it was like to be handcuffed and detained while on air at Echo Park Lake, and what it took to get one of the tattoo artists who tattooed up deputies of the LA Sheriff's Department on the air. Kate is a fantastic broadcaster, perfect on social media, and just as kind in person. Plus, she tells us if you don't have Spectrum Cable, but you get your internet through Spectrum, you'll be able to see her and her newscast via an app for free. So let's welcome Kate Cagle. Hey, everybody. I am here in Palms with Kate Cagle. Hi. Hey. Hello. You're clapping and tails are wagging. Um, we're here with Kate, who is an anchor and reporter at Spectrum One Cable, which if you don't have Spectrum, you don't get to see a lot of your stuff. But if you follow you, Kate, on Twitter, you actually do um, put a lot of your... Um, your what do you call episodes what do you call them reports yeah, stories stories yeah, stories out on twitter what's your twitter handle at kate cagle so k-a-t-e-c-a-g-l-e okay and i'll just cut to the chase although i think we're supposed to call it x are you gonna be xing i'm not gonna be <laughs> we X-ing. just got updated style guidelines today so we're xing i put a tweet out the other day um on here in la that said we can call it what we want. We still call it the Fabulous Forum. We still call it the Fox Hills Mall. We still call it uh, uh, the Staples. Staples. Right. So. Okay. I'm picking up what you're putting down. It's still <laughs> Twitter.com to go to the website. Right. I'm just saying. Right. Because Microsoft owns X.com, right? I think or there's going to be a lot of issues. Yeah. I saw one tweet and they were showing shortcuts on their browser and they had like four X's in a row. And they're like, three of these are porn sites and one is Twitter. <laughs> So I don't know how it's going to pan out. Maybe we'll be back to Twitter by the time this airs. So, Kate, one of the one of the reasons I'm so happy to be here with you today is y- you are one of the I think you're one of the stars of L.A. Um, uh, broadcast journalism, in part because if I feel like you take on some topics that the traditional places don't or if they do, they kind of just kind of gloss over it. Um, and I want, I'm trying to be respectful to them because I realize they have their own agenda and they've got their own bosses above them that might stop them from doing the things that you're able to do. I'll give you an example. I saw you get arrested at Echo Park Lake. I saw you interview a tattooist of the sheriff deputies who put quote unquote gang tattoos on people, uh, on deputies. Those are kind of punk rock stories that are very edgy that I don't see, I didn't see Paul Majors do back in the day. I didn't see, you know what I'm saying? But I see it with you. And I think that that's why you have um, 
fans and admirers online of your work. Well, that's a, it's all very kind of you to say. That's very sweet. And thank you for noticing because I do try to be intentional about the stories that I pick and go places where other people aren't going. And if I do see a story that I think is being covered really well by another outlet, then I'm like, great. They can own that. Let me go find something else to work on. So thank you. Sit, uh, we're we're going to do, how about we do this interview like this, top down, like like they taught us with journalism. Okay, great. I think, I think you being arrested at Echo Park was super dramatic because we had heard about people like Lex from LA Taco get arrested. Um, and Lex, I guess I can understand because he's probably wearing like just a t-shirt and an LA Taco hat or maybe not even an LA Taco hat. You're like, okay, I can see where the police may not think that he's a journalist. But, but at Echo Park Lake, you're sitting there with a cameraman. Two. Two cameramen. Yes, with live backpacks on, professional you're- equipment, my press pass hanging around my neck, the whole shebang. And you're pointing to your crew saying... I'm I'm on right now. You can't arrest me right now or something along those right. lines. And they still took you away. Were you shocked that, that this was happening to you? Oh, I the the entire experience, I just hadn't I'd never been through anything like that. It was a complete accident. And I really don't cover protests that much, right? I cover issues. And but that night we were just really in uh, intent on following through was because everyone was waiting for that midnight deadline, right? When the park was officially going to be closed to see what was going to happen. So we thought it was really important to be there. But I had covered the protests in 2020 and very similar situation with a crew, with a backpack. We were alive. We were out um, in places where mass arrests were happening, where curfews had been called, and we didn't have any issues. I mean, in fact, I interviewed Chief Moore himself, and he was wearing like a helmet, and there were flashbangs going off, and there was no question about whether or not the press could do their job. So that entire night was shocking, shocking mm-hmm. to a lot of people. What what happened with you? Did You weren't officially arrested, were you? You were just detained? Is that how it went? I was detained in what protesters call the kettle, right? So basically they had called this unlawful assembly, which I didn't even hear because I was actually in my car editing the story that was going to run on TV. And then I got a text from the newsroom that said, hey, they declared an unlawful assembly where you are. And I was working with two photographers and it was about time for a live shot. And I kind of wanted to get out just to be like, what? is going on because I could hear things were getting rowdier and I was actually just walking over and I had told uh the two men I was working with like hey if you guys feel uncomfortable like you don't have to stay like you can come sit with me in the car but they felt fine in fact uh I love this photographer Martin who it's so great he's on staff now but he had covered Middle East conflict (laughs) right and I remember after we were detained, we're kind of getting chewed out by the cops. And they're like, why didn't you leave? And Martin goes, I didn't realize they arrested journalists in this country. And he was just like dumbfounded that it had happened. He's like, I've covered warfare. These are like fireworks and flashlights. Like, what are you guys reacting to even? I mean, it was just, it was an absurd situation. And um, 
a complete accident and I had all the feelings about it at the time. It was really, honestly, it was really emotional for me because it just, um, you know, and as, as you point out, like I have an immense amount of privilege and it was, I don't know how to describe it other than the fact it was like a very formative experience and some of my contacts in LAPD like they were mad at me and um Hmm. yeah it was crazy I had I have a feeling I mean I'll put it this way I like to I like to pretend that the police know the same things about the first amendment the journalists do and that when they stop journalists from doing their jobs, that I, I want to believe it's only because it's the order from above. And, but that one seemed really hard for me because you're clearly doing your job. You're not an activist. You, you don't have an ACAB hat like some of my guests have had. You know, you're, you're, <laughs> you're TV journalists. I've never seen Tom Brokaw be arrested for being on the scene of something. Um, was that some of the feelings that you were having when you talk about the emotions that you had that day? Yeah, and I, just two weeks before that happened, those people you're describing, I was getting pushback from them on Twitter because I had done a sit down with Chief Moore. Like I had been working with the department in many ways and trying to cover them. So yeah, you know, I've, I've been a journalist a long time for more than 10 years. I've worked with lots of different agencies, different apartments, PIOs, different cops. And I had just uh, never experienced what I experienced that night. And it was just even so out of line with what I had experienced in 2020 that I just never saw it coming. So when they took you away, did they put you on a a school bus? Did they did they handcuff you? Very briefly. (gasps) You were handcuffed? I was zip tied and the very nice female officer asked me how I would like my hands placed behind my back. And I said, I don't know. I've never been handcuffed before. And she said, well, people find the prayer backwards prayer position the most comfortable. So I did that. But I think I was that was maybe not even a minute before they, I think, realized what happened and and cut me out because I had been texting the the head PIO of LAPD. I mean, I had told him where I was like, hey, I'm stuck in this kettle. Like, can you please tell them to let me out? I'm with my crew. You know, we just want to go home. And um, they were like, no, you're staying. Oh, my God. Because you're a bad person because you're actually at the scene as it's going down. Instead of far away where they had set up a media uh, staging area, correct? I mean, those are your your words, not mine. We're, we're, do, well, let me ask you this, because I wasn't there. Was it clear where the media was, quote unquote, supposed to be at, at that midnight hour? There was a media st- staging area, and I had been there earlier in the day, but there was there was no... PIO there when I was there who was giving information you couldn't see inside the park you couldn't see where the protest was happening and how I ended up on Lemoyne was that there had been a vigil there earlier and that's where all the protesters were so I interviewed uh, a protester Jed Perriott who'd been a big part of the action 
And then, like I said, that's where my car was parked. So I was putting the piece together and the protest was happening just right down the street. So we were like, oh, we'll just go live from here. I'd never had any issues before. Before we get into the other story that I I really like that you did, um, let's talk about social media for a second. Because I think you're very good and you're very active on social media. And I, I, I don't think that people realize when they yell at, at journalists on Twitter or whatever that a lot of times you read it. And, and sometimes you might be shocked at what they're saying. So, so here you are, again, doing your job. And part of your job is to talk to the chief of police. Right. <laughs> Duh, right? And yet there are people who are following you who seemed upset that you're actually having a an honest conversation with the chief i mean and that's fine i mean that's one of the reasons that i'm on social media is i don't want i don't want people to feel like i'm averse to criticism i have a huge platform i think the media needs more criticism in fact i feel like la is sorely lacking an actual news critic who follows the way you know, reports on how stories are being covered in the narrative. We don't get a lot of that in LA. So if people individually want to be that person and give me their, you know, two cents or 50 tweets on, <laughs> on my story, I, I welcome that. I think all journalists should welcome that, especially if you have a big platform. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of fun just to see what people are saying. And, you know, I'll just say this. No one grades harder than the internet. So... When you know you're going to post the story later, it's like bat in the hatches. you got to cross every T, <laughs> dot every I, because they're going to find that one mistake. Yeah. And I think that's the way that it should be. I'm not, afra- I'm not afraid of that. What I don't like is when people attack uh, the subjects of my story, hmm. because particularly around homelessness, we need to hear these stories about how people got to where they are, the challenges that they're experiencing trying to get back up on their feet. They're not easy things to talk about. It's very stigmatizing. If you know you're going to speak publicly, that's a story that's going to live forever, mm-hmm. maybe even once you get your life back on track. So I try to give people a lot of agency in the way they want their stories to be covered. And when people start attacking unha- and you know and you're like in your anonymous account from your nice apartment or home and you're attacking some unhoused person at, i it just my brain explodes and that's who i end up blocking because i mean why would i let you come on my platform and do that mm-hmm. uh i have a terrible problem where i will fight these people online. i know it's so tempting how do you not do it is it because, I mean, is, is it against the policy at work? It's also professional not to fight back, right? Well, and I try to respond to everyone with kindness. Mm-hmm. That, that tr- I try, you know, you got to be a, like, you bring your higher self. And I try to uh, answer their questions or their points as best they can. Mm-hmm. And I just, anytime I do get into an extended back and forth, I always end up regretting it and it kind of ruins your whole day and then you're stewing over it and then you've given them this power over you. Yeah. Yeah. So I try not to get sucked into it. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to try to live by your example then because it does, it hurts me inside. And you know, uh, William from Film the Police in uh, our first interview with him, he said what he does 
uh, hurts his sleeping. You know, even though he's yelling at the cops and even though he knows he's doing the right thing and many of us look at him as a hero, um, he says that he's still a human. It's emotional and it hurts him and he doesn't want to have these feelings inside. Um, let's Speaking of emotion, um, I think it was today you tweeted out how you were emotional talking about one of the women who were who was arrested while her baby was being yanked away from her. Oh, you're going to make me cry, Tony. I was crying. I literally, I was crying in the newsroom. I mean, uh, so basically, you know, there's a story out of Palmdale that last year deputies pulled over a car that was driving without headlights in the middle of the night. And in this car, they find three women who are holding their babies. And California law requires an infant to be in a rear-facing car seat. So... They're attempting to take the children from these women, and the video is just excruciating to watch these mothers pleading to keep their babies, to wait for family members to come with car seats. They're saying, well, you have car seats. Can you just give us your car seats? And, um, you know, basically, and I keep coming back to this, the only reason that this was even a news story is because the deputy punched one of the women repeatedly in the face while she's holding her 10-week-old baby. And, I mean, Karen Bass tweeted about this, the mayor of L.A., Supervisor Janice Hahn, Sheriff Robert Luna himself is the one who released the video. Uh, The FBI is investigating. And, you know, I've watched too many of these videos of use of force incidents, and it was actually hearing from the the mom's lawyers at the press conference talking about uh, the four days she spent in jail while she was breastfeeding and that the mom had told the deputies they didn't tell her where her baby was and she really wanted her breast milk to be taken to the baby and she claims that instead they made her basically pump and pour it down the toilet and you know I breastfed I'm going to cry. I breastfed my son for a year and it is emotional, arduous, painful. I mean, if, if you're breastfeeding and you don't regularly pump or feed your baby, it is like, I thought that pain was worse than childbirth and I had an unmedicated birth. Like I'm telling you, like it's, (laughs) <laughs> it's just so much sacrifice for the mom to do that. So it just really pulled at my heartstrings. And mm-hmm. I mean, look, obviously like they should have had car seats for these kids, but then you just see how these situations just spiral and seem to make everything worse instead mm-hmm. of making the situation for this 10 week old boy better. Mm-hmm. Right. We, we love watching you on TV and following you on uh, on social because the emotions that we feel, you also feel. And and I think, I don't know if, 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 if that's frowned upon in TV journalism to be a human being. What do you think? I don't know either. It's so hard. I mean, you know, Spectrum, we do make a point of being 
unbiased. We want to show every perspective in a story. So when I covered the story today, I mean, I included comments from sheriff, uh, former Sheriff Villanueva defending the deputy's behavior. Uh, that deputy, by the way, has a GoFundMe that's raised almost $40,000. So there are a lot of people who, um, you know, I guess support him and what he did. But I mean, you got to be a human being at the end of the day. Otherwise, we're all going to be replaced by robots. So <laughs> isn't that kind of what I'm bringing to this job, right? Humanity. Uh, yes. Yes, you are. And courage, too. One of the pieces that you did that I really loved was you interviewed the tattoo artist who um, made the, some of the, the gang tattoos of some of uh, the the LASD uh, sheriffs who allegedly are in these deputy gangs. The Banditos tattoo. There you go. Thank mm-hmm. you. Was it hard to find this guy? Uh, that was a newsroom tip. So someone had seen a story that I had done about the banditos and this tipster had been at an inking party years ago, not recently. A deputy inking party? At a deputy inking party. Mm. This person themselves not at a deputy not a deputy, but said there was a lot of people at the party and um they knew this artist and they thought the whole thing was in poor taste to say the least Mm -hmm. and gave us the name of the artist which then um i confirmed with other deputies who knew Mm -hmm. and i i actually never talked about how we reported out this story because it was just me and i was like okay well now what (laughs) and uh i actually found the artist on instagram and sent them a message and for my account, which is kind of a mix of me and some of my reporting, so I was like, well, if he scrolls through and kind of sees what, I, what I'm working on, maybe he'll get an idea. But I just said, hey, I'd like to interview you about your work. And uh, he thought I, it was about his, you know, mainstream <laughs> business. <laughs> and uh, so I went by myself to the tattoo shop, and I showed up with a a very disarming box of donuts, <laughs> which I would highly recommend if anyone's walking into uh, an ambush interview. It's nice to to bring the donuts. And I was kind of chatting while he was tattooing a client. Um, some people have noted that he was tattooing some cartoon. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. It's like a Cartoon Network cartoon on this guy's mm. leg. And then I said, hey, can I talk to you about something else? But I want to talk to you like just us. So we went in the back room and he's like mid bite into a bear claw. When I show him the banditos tattoo on my phone, I said, I want to ask you about this. And his eyes just popped out of his head. And he was like, where did you get that? Oh, and a lawyer had given it to me. I don't know where he initially got it. Um, But yeah, I mean, he ended up telling me that he had, he had tattooed it on like 40 deputies over the span of decades, that he wasn't the only artist who did it, that the tattoos were numbered, that they had to be earned, that it was a initiation ceremony when they got it. And um, you know what really struck me is that he said that he had been waiting for someone to walk through the door 
and ask him about it. Little did he know it was going to be this <laughs> blonde woman with donuts. Hello. Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> and uh, yeah, he was really scared for the story to come out and that he was going to face retaliation. And I was like, look, just blame it on me. Just blame it on the donuts, you know? Well, but also good for him for for having the courage to do that. Because I would imagine, and I, I, I think you would too, that a lot of sources would just tap out. As soon as you ask that question, they'd be like, I'm not talking about that. Those guys have guns. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, I had no idea how it was all going to go down. So, but he just he just kept going with your questions, right? He just answered his answered it honestly. Um, you know, he didn't want to name names, mm-hmm. which I wasn't trying to get anyone, um, you know, severely harmed. So that was fine. And then we had a lot of conversations in the newsroom about how much anonymity to give him, and that was a pretty heated debate. But at the end of the day, um, we decided to conceal his identity because we didn't want him um, to face uh, severe retaliation. But we did think it was important to get the story out and legitimize what people had what had been a rumor for so long. Well, and, and that and I think that's that's Kate, that's where you had the, the scoop is. The former sheriff was trying to pretend there's no gangs here, or if there had been, he'd already cleaned them up, and this tattoo thing was nonsense. People like uh, People City Council continually would would tweet, show us your tats, show us your tats. And, and I think some people on the fence might have believed the department that this was all just hype and a myth that these deputies had gang tattoos of their gangs. Um, but yours was the absolute proof. Like there's no better source than the man who put them on them. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty, I just everything about the deputy gang issue. Just, I mean, it can't stop shocking you because that's how you keep going. I don't want anyone to become numb to this story because I mean, the craziest thing is that it's still happening. I mean, there's still new lawsuits coming through about, deputy gangs in East LA and whether or not the banditos, you know, allegedly capped out at a hundred. So now there's a new group that's forming, but I mean, just from the very beginning, you know, when I read that initial lawsuit that came out of East LA, this is, you know, way back 2019 before anyone was talking about this. And, uh, you know, they were just, these deputies had come forward that, this banditos deputy gang was taxing other deputies, controlling scheduling, denying backup to people who didn't, you know, play by their rules, that they were training deputies, that they were really like this shadow government over the station. And then that all exploded at the Kennedy Hall party where, uh, you know, these deputies alleged banditos choked out and beat up the deputies that weren't towing the line at the station. And I had just never heard anything like that. And that's when we got on the story. And, you know, my former news director, Scott Warren, I remember him stopping me in the hallway after the first story ran and said, stay on this. Good. So, yeah. Good. Uh, 
because I, I read the paper and I'm I'm I love journalism and I love all the nuances. It seems to me that at the LA Times they had a hard time actually calling it a gang. They would they would use the phrase "click" because that's what the the former uh, sheriff used. Um, was there any of that debate going on at Spectrum? What do we call it? Do we, can we call it a, a gang? So the you know I had been doing a lot of reporting on the banditos and I think everything kind of evolved because. A lot depended on what the inspector general was calling it at the time. You know, we just always tried to stick to uh, the facts. So when Rand did a study on subgroups, we called them subgroups because that's what the study called them. That's what they asked deputies about. So we called them subgroups. But if the inspector general for Los Angeles County is saying deputy gang, I don't know why we would shy away from that. And now California's own penal code defines a law enforcement gang. So I don't know why we would shy away from using the terminology that's now on the books. I mean, yeah. 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 I don't, it was driving me crazy because, yeah, they used to put, even up until until recently, they were putting uh, gang in quotation marks. And I was like, what are the quotes for? Right. (laughs) And what you just described sounds exactly like a gang. They, they bully people, they are violent towards people, and they They are... discriminate, not everyone can join. I mean, that was the other thing was that, you know, Villanueva would say this was station pride. But then also he was... <laughs> <laughs> Gonna get myself in trouble. It's... But, like, it's not station pride if not everyone gets one. Right. He also said he did not get a caveman tattoo. So, did he not have station pride, or he wasn't invited? Oh, excellent question. Excellent question. Okay, um, what was what was the um, what was the result of that interview? Did did I mean? I guess I want to think about like page views, ratings. Do you guys do you guys have metrics like that for Spectrum? Now that they share with us, so um, you know, Spectrum News were behind a paywall. Like primarily, we are a cable channel. And the idea behind uh, launching a local news channel is they want us to be a premium subscriber benefit, like a retention tool. So if you're thinking about cutting the cord, maybe you'll keep us around a little bit longer. That's changing a little bit. So we just launched on Roku and Apple TV. You can stream Spectrum News if you have Spectrum internet oh i do i wait oh you do yeah yeah yeah. so you can stream like our whole channel now i can see you and alex cohen you can there's a smart tv app yes yes is this breaking news it's really new like we did a soft launch and um there's going to be more down the line to come to to make us more good accessible i do have spectrum uh internet because it's it's fast where i live it's super fast and, Not um, my department, but always good to hear nice things. If you, if you see the person, say, hey, Tony says thanks for that 400 megabytes. You know, the other week for the very first time, it had never happened to me before. I was there to interview someone when the Spectrum cable guy showed up. And it was just so funny because I was like, I'm sure there's some policy that you're absolutely not allowed to talk to the people in news. But I bet you get complaints about us and we get complaints about you. Mm-hmm. So it's always nice to hear something uh, nice about our service. OK, uh, let's just wrap up, though, on on the, the tattooist, though. Was that the most popular story you did? Have you had more popular stories? Is there a way to figure out if it's super popular outside of your own Twitter account? 
Yeah, I don't know the most popular story I've done. I mean, I know a lot of people saw that story. And, you know, for me, consistency is key. So I just try to, you know, especially covering the department to just stay on it. And, yeah, I mean, some stories, they take off for whatever reason. Um, That one I was really proud of. But also, you know, last year, just being on the campaign trail constantly and following up because that was the main thing I learned about covering the department was that you just have to constantly follow up, follow up, follow up, follow up and don't stop. They don't make it easy for you. If you ask a question and, and, and this is a lot of sources, but I imagine definitely law enforcement and government agencies for some reason. Why, why do you think they are like this? I mean, I mean, I'll tell you with sheriffs, you don't get any any documents without a lawsuit you just don't you just don't even if something is clearly public record well i would say you know under the former sheriff if they thought it was politically good for him you might get it but across the board it's so hard to get documents i mean that's why i think uh like knock la is doing such great work because they have really great first amendment lawyers and they get their documents at the end of the day and that's why they're reporting stories that no one else has and that's when i harp on when i see la times reporters i'm like hey can you please request this because i know you guys have really great lawyers and you know we have lawyers at spectrum but that's not really their focus isn't on doing my PRA requests, right? <laughs> it's defending the company from liability. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you just don't get anything without a lawyer. From, hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, let's let's continue talking about uh, local media. Do you have any heroes or or mentors or people that you look up to uh, in the LA media world? I mean, I'm fortunate to work with a lot of really experienced journalists like Alex Cohen is a great friend of mine great mentor for me she's texting me right now um you know Giselle Fernandez is our main morning anchor Mm -hmm. she's like a local legend yes so um yeah I just feel really blessed to work with them and then I don't think it's any secret that you know I love Cerise Castle she and I are also very good friends Mm -hmm. and we've sat at many a commission hearing together and uh i love carrie blakinger the new reporter at the times Mm -hmm. i mean anyone who's covering sheriffs i'm like i'm on your team i'm like (laughs) you go you go because you know how difficult that can be yeah and well i think that look i mean lapd gets a lot of scrutiny. There's a lot of groups that focus on LAPD. They're famous. You know, I grew up watching like LAPD Blue. Everyone knows LAPD. And the sheriffs are the same size, but... Same budget. Same budget. And they affect just as many people, maybe more people, because it's like 11 million people live in LA County and it's like 4 million in LA. So Mm -hmm. technically it's more people. And that's actually more, you know, when they tell us the demographic breakdown of who watches Spectrum. Most people live in the county, not actual city proper. So it's a huge influence and they have these very opaque contracts is what I learned. And um, yeah, I just think that the department is, there's just not, there's just not enough people covering it. You know, there's more stories than any one person can do. 
And now that you list it, isn't it interesting? It's almost all women who have been covering the sheriff. Uh, Eileen before Carrie mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. Times, um, which maybe gets under their skin a little harder, too. Because it's like, ugh, this woman, this woman is just running me right now. Uh, my favorite, like my favorite comment I got from a Villanueva fan was something like, Kate, we're just so disappointed in you. <laughs> like, <laughs> Don't you know your place? We had, is that such, what you're ho- we had such hopes for you. Right. You know, you have so much potential if you could just uh, straighten out or something. I don't know. Um, yeah. I mean, Frank Stoltz does a great job. I love loved, Frank. I loved uh, Imperfect Paradise. I think he's on a new beat now, but I thought he did a really great job. And it really comes down, honestly, to beats because you'll be at this press. I'd be at a press conference and, you know, it'd be like me and Aileen and Frank would really know what was going on. But then you would have like three other TV reporters who just got the assignment like an hour before and they have 90 seconds to tell the story. And like we're trying to get in to the nitty gritty like who saw the computer was it that guy wait what about that guy over there can you come to the podium you know we're trying to get you on the record and you just saw the difference of um allowing reporters to actually have expertise when you know the local model for tv stations is like i said you get your assignment in the morning and it's like have something on tv by five and you're doing something different every day and you're getting sent all over the county and all different things and you can never really become an expert on anything you're just Mm -hmm. trying to jam you uh went to annenberg at usc did they prepare you for this and 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 this isn't a diss towards usc could any j school prepare you for the job that you do here in la well, I would say USC was great about teaching the mechanics. They taught us, you know, they taught me how to shoot, edit, write. I, I laugh because I now, you know, picture myself in the computer lab for three days editing a two-minute story that now I could probably, you know, finish in in an hour or two. I mean, that was really great. And I would say USC, what it did the best was toughen us up because it had a lot of L.A. veterans that we're like, we're going to give you frank, quick criticism while you're on deadline, even if it breaks your spirit and we see you like sobbing into the microphone <laughs> as you're trying to get your, These are your, your professors. Data. Yeah, the professors. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's what real news is like. Yeah. And that's kind of the culture of the newsroom. So I felt really prepared for that. And uh, my editor at the uh, Daily Press, it was interesting because I was involved in like hiring some uh, a reporter there and he was like he's like it's the daily nature that gets people it's the every day the beast has to be fed like there's no recovery so i felt like usc prepared us for that do you feel that grind do you do because i would i would think that that's good i every day i get to do a new story or every day i get to work on a two-day story in your case um that's not a that's not a positive thing. I'd rather do that than have to do the same thing every day. I agree. But you know, there's also a lot of trade-offs in the business. Like, you know, we all work holidays. Like I work a crazy shift now. I work 3 a.m. to whenever, <laughs> essentially. So uh, you know, it's definitely not for everyone, but yeah, you kind of have to have that adventure spirit, you know.
let's talk about this shift. Why are you on? Why, why do you have to go to work at 3 a.m.? What's 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 the point? So that you have a piece ready at noon? No, no, no. I anchor the 5 a.m. now. So it and is is that a more prestigious hour than in the evening? Well, so I used to anchor Sunday nights. Okay. So basically, um, I was doing two pieces a week. Something usually timely during the week, and then we would have like a special report, like the tattoo artist story for Sunday night. Mm. Um, but no, this was a promotion for me to move Monday through Friday. Oh. So, so you're on every every morning, every morning, Monday through Friday. Congratulations! Anchor, thank you so much. I anchor five a.m. to six a.m., and then usually I contribute in the later hours. Um, which has been great because it allows me to jump on stories a lot faster. And then I work on special projects on the side. So I'm turning more like one piece a week because mm. it's just, you know, you have to schedule these stories and make time to edit. Um, so I'm a little pickier about so, so how I'm what, spending my time. What time do you go to bed? Well, <laughs> to get eight hours, I would have to go to bed at 6 p.m. Is that impossible? I mean, I also have a family, you know, I have a, I have a six-year-old son. Um, I take a lot of naps. Uh, I don't know. We're still figuring it out, but I do love sleep. Like I'm a pro, I'm not one of these people who, who cannot sleep. I'm like a nine hour girl. Oh wow! Like I love to like, I love my bed and my pillow. Are parents of six years olds allowed to have that hobby? I have the best husband ever. <laughs> He's very supportive. <laughs> so he does bedtime. He does uh, mornings on his own because I'm at work now. So mm-hmm. uh, he's incredible. And um, yeah, we're making it work. So that's what it takes, everybody. Just have a great partner yeah. who understands. He's amazing. Yeah. So all the people that we watch in the morning, because some of these broadcasts now are at 4 a.m. Some of yeah. these TV broadcasts. Yeah, some people come in at one thirty. So they're going to bed at 5 and 6 p.m. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this isn't my first. I did this shift in Portland, too. I reported on a, like, a it was like a four and a half or five hour morning show. And I think I had to get in at 1.30 because I was in the field. So you, then you have to have travel time. Like, say you're going to a city that's like three hours away, mm. right? You're in the live truck in the middle of the night, like eating your bagel and putting on your mascara. Uh, and then, yeah, you come home just exhausted. Okay, so we're talking about the neighborhood of Palms. All right. And is Spectrum at uh, in El Segundo? Yes. So at 3 in the morning, well, there's not traffic anywhere. No. Um, so you're able to get, get to work pretty quickly. Is that why you picked Palms, or had you already lived over here? No, this is where uh, when we moved back to L.A., this was in 2016, uh, my husband was working in Century City. So a lot of people plugged palms for us as kind of the perfect neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and we love it. I well, love this place. What do you love about palms? Look, for me, for work, like I'm 15 minutes from Venice Beach. I'm 15 minutes from downtown if there's no traffic. I'm 15 minutes from work if there's no traffic. Of course, with traffic, all that goes out the window. But uh, we feel like... We're in the city. There's great restaurants, but it's not touristy. It's real. We can walk to downtown Culver City for dinner if we want. Um, You know, we spend a lot of time at the beach. We feel like that's the whole point of living in L.A. It's not too hot when it's hot. We love it. It's true. Do you ever use uh, this expo line over here? When I worked in Santa Monica, I took it every day. I take it less now, sometimes on the weekend, to go do fun stuff. I ask because... 
I love taking the subway, but then people say, well, it's different for girls. Mm. And I'm like, I can see that. Do you feel that when you're on the expo line? Um, I just feel like, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to like dismiss anyone's experience, but I feel like a lot of it I just accept as city living, right? right? Like, look, I moved, I moved to LA when I was 18 from a town where, uh, like in McAllen, Texas, I always tell this story. I was like standing outside a gym waiting for someone and three people stopped and asked if I wanted them to wait with me so I wouldn't be by myself. Like Texans, very friendly, very nice. (laughs) Then I go to USC and people you have class with won't even make eye contact with you all of a sudden. (laughs) And so a lot of the issues that people complain about, like, they're not great, but you know, you live in a big city. Like there's definitely going to be trade-offs, mm-hmm. but McAllen didn't have fabulous museums and great <laughs> restaurants and, uh, you know, a beach and all right. the amenities. So it's kind of a balance. Let's cause, cause now you got me thinking about Culver city, but first let's talk about where you like to eat in palms. Um, there used to be a Kogi, uh, brick and mortar store in palms no longer yeah but the van's always parked here right so it's kind of like they never left they kind of had the perfect business model for the pandemic right they're like oh we'll just go back to being a food truck are you a fan of kogi i love kogi and i love the place that replaced them barrio is really great that's my son's favorite restaurant so Uh we probably eat there at least once a week we love simpong asia as really great um we're mostly vegetarians, so we oh. eat a lot of vegan joint. You know, all those places on National are great. Is this the husband's uh, influence? Because I don't know a lot of Texans who are vegans. Uh, it was definitely a gradual thing. Like, we just started cutting back a lot on eating meat. And um, then I stopped keeping it in the house, which actually made life easier. You didn't have to check if, like, the chicken was, you know, because sometimes you're like, oh, I got to cook this because it's going to be bad or whatever. Like, right. we don't have that problem anymore. <laughs> And, um, really I would say the big push for us at first was climate. Like it's really big for climate. Um, just, especially if you just stop eating cows, gets you like really far away when it comes to reducing your impact, but also health is huge too. It's, Mm -hmm. it's a lot healthier. The cows, because I heard that it takes all this water all by itself to just feed the cows and, and for what, for... And then all their farts. It's terrible. It's terrible. Should I be thinking about their farts? People talk about their farts. Yeah, the methane. methane, Yeah, right. It's a problem. Does the six-year-old care if he doesn't have real chicken tenders? Uh, He doesn't know any different. I mean, he's not vegetarian. He eats whatever at school. He loves pepperoni. That's his own thing. Um, and I eat meat probably like once a week, mm-hmm. you know, pro- cause I don't want to be an annoying vegetarian, <laughs> you know, when I'm like, Oh, I can't eat there cause I don't have anything. Sorry. No offense to those people. I'm great. Good for you. You're a purist. Some of them are annoying. It's true. Um, I can't stop eating in and out though. I use it as a reward. If, if I, if I have a nice episode, if we finish it, if we do all the things and it's on time and I happen to be passing it in and out. That's my little, that's the only time I really eat red meat. Oh, well, that wouldn't be my burger of choice. Do tell. What would? Oh, my gosh. Who has the best burger? There's so many in L.A. I know there's so many. My favorite burger place, honestly, in the country is in Portland called Little Big Burger. 
oh my gosh, they're so good. I lived in Portland for three years, so that was definitely my spot. But I don't think I've had a burger in LA that has tempted me. Like, I got to have this. I'm a barbecue girl. Like, oh my God, pulled pork, so good. I used to make pulled pork. Your whole (laughs) kitchen just smells delicious. Is is there a place in LA that has that? Like, I'm sure. Like Bledsoe's on uh, La Brea, maybe? Um, yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure there's great places in L.A. But you just like barbecue. to make it yourself. Yeah, I mean, I haven't made it in years, but mm. it sounds good just talking about it. Okay, um, then let's let's talk real quick about nearby Culver City. Mm. When you guys do take your stroll to Culver City, which used to be called the most livable city in L.A. Oh. Because there's, there's 88 cities in right. L.A. County. Um, when you were talking about the county, there's a reason that I only do the neighborhoods. There's 300. That's enough. Yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah, uh, Culver City used to be called that. I, I don't know why... It, it doesn't still it's because it, now it, it has the expo line and that downtown area just has so many great restaurants. Yeah. Do you have a, a favorite one over there? Uh, we go to Akasha a lot, which is great. What's that? Um, it's a, I would say it's like American pretty eclectic, but they have a fabulous seasonal menu, which is all about peaches right now. Oh. And I did eat fried chicken. <gasps> Because I just had to have it. What, why is it? Oh, because of chicken. Should we not be eating chicken either? No. Ch- well, chicken's a lot better than cows. Yes. For sure. Okay. Um, where else do we go in Culver City? Ooh, let me think. I know. Now, I, I told you I was going to make a list of restaurants to plug. And you're like, no, you're fine. I know. And then I just fell into it. I was like, and all I right, fell fine. fell into it. Yeah. There's a lot of great places. Are you one of these people who, because this is how I am. I'll just walk. And yeah. if something strikes my fancy, I'll be like, let's go. I love that. And then I don't even really like to look at the menu. I just like to ask the waiter, what do you like? What's what's cool here? Yeah. Like, what do I know? Yeah. What and, does the waiter know? And I also know. as journalists, that's how we get our information is from the other people. Right. Right. Do you do that when, when you're at restaurants too? A little bit. Um, you know, I would like, you know, we have a great food person on Spectrum, oh. Jada Montemorano, mm-hmm. and she does great stories about like the chef's story or the owner's story and kind of explains like why certain things are on the menu. So that's always fascinating to hear. Yeah. Let's, uh, again, thank you, Kate, for having me here. Happy to do it. I'm, this is- yeah, fun talk. This has been great. I hope I didn't say anything that's going to get me in trouble. I don't think so. Have you gotten in trouble? No, never. Me? <laughs> How about at your previous jobs? Have you gotten in trouble? Uh, no, I mean, maybe just, you know, typical, you know, there's always like newsroom friction over story selection or how things got done or, mm-hmm. you know, how things aired. But, you know, news is a messy business. And it's a lot, it's very subjective. It is. Well, the, the quality of the news is subjective. The news shouldn't be subjective. If right. it's raining, it's raining. True. Right? But how you decide to cover a story, who gets included, you know, which sound bites you choose, it kind of like there's endless choose your own adventure moments, mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess, when pursuing 
any given story. So, you know, sometimes you're going to have disagreements. Uh, let's let's wrap up with this then, because I I don't think I've interviewed a TV journalist for for this yet. Um, and I, and I come from blogging and then the LA Times, and it's different. Print, you know, you you mm-hmm. worked at the Santa Monica. A newspaper mm-hmm. and now you're on spectrum and everybody can see you now thanks to roku everywhere mm-hmm. which is awesome um tell us about the differences between broadcast journalism and print for well, it, from from your point of view like is it is it harder do you have to do it quicker what's what's that like i would say when you're making a tv piece your brain is always operating on two levels because you're thinking about what visually what the audience is seeing. So what visuals do I have to tell this story? And then the text that's going to be voiced underneath. So you're always thinking on two tracks, right? Like, And the way that you would visually tell a story is very different usually than how you would write a story. So actually, I mean, the hardest thing for broadcast in this is my weakness too, is then you have to turn around and you write the text article after and you kind of have to, sorry, I bumped the mic. You really have to throw out the broadcast story and like recraft a text story because it's just different. Cause for TV, you're writing for the ear and the print story is all about the depth and the details and the facts. Mm-hmm. And you got me thinking now, I think a lot of viewers take it for granted the entire package. Mm-hmm. So like you also have to do like B-roll. Yeah. And and then the voiceover. I hadn't ever thought about the voiceover before. Yeah. So you have to introduce it and 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 then and then I guess edit the interview part portion. Yeah. So I so you know when I pitch a story, we're thinking about all the voices that are going to be involved and then you go out and you actually do the interviews and then you come back and then you watch back what people said and then maybe that's when you're already starting to pull your quotes or we would call them sound bites that you're going to use and then this is how I do it once I have that I kind of rearrange the quotes and then I fill out the information around them and then you're trying to build you know a narrative that's going to keep a viewer intrigued so you're trying to think uh, every story that I do, I try to give it a beginning, middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a, yeah, it's a totally different thought process. You have to learn to think in that way. But like, if you don't have visuals for something, you can't say it. So, you know, sometimes that's the hardest part is like, how do you, so we start with that at Spectrum. Like who, uh, you know, every single story we do have what we what we would call like a central character who's like driving the narrative, who's like, illustrative Mm -hmm. am I saying that right of the issue um so that person kind of eases up on the storytelling but especially covering politics sometimes you're hard you're like all right how am I going to make this visual that's not just you know the politician typing at their desk like we've all seen those (laughs) shots I do those shots sometimes but yeah well you you just kind of showed us an example of, of what's also different about tv you have to say it perfectly yeah. Often, you know. Yeah. Newspaper guys, they they can sit around, they can smoke, they can drink, and and then the copy <laughs> editor makes it all pretty. Oh. Right. 
Well, that'd be nice. Yeah. I don't have, I don't have that. I mean, we, our stories get reviewed before they go on air, but, um, yeah, we're doing all the legwork yeah. around that. Um, so when people watch, okay, l- l- let me wrap it up with this. I always say this is the last one, but then, then something else happens. That's why your podcast is so good. Oh, thank you. God bless you. You have a picture of Heidi Klum over here. Hey, yes, I do. Autograph. Yeah, I do. That's my uh, my husband. It was a a gift in high school. But I love it. I look so vintage looking. Yeah, yeah. How funny is that? Um, it's kind of gone away a little bit, but the idea of fake news, and I think it had legs because. He was the president of the United States saying things like this. But just that concept kind of blew my mind because being in the belly of the beast, we know what it takes to get something published or put on the air. Um, There's oftentimes, even in small newsrooms, there's layers of people who will call BS on things and like, we cannot run that. We cannot Mm -hmm. broadcast this. Um, and so if only people knew what it took to actually get it out there. Also, if only people knew how hard we as journalists try to be as objective as humanly mm-hmm. possible, even though we're humans and we have our, our feelings about certain things and we might not even like the person in front of us, we might love the person in front of us. We still want to be objective because when we love the person in front of us, but they did something really bad. And that's why we've knocked on their door. Um, I think sometimes that's harder to be objective about. <laughs> You're like, you know. And so, what what would you what what would be your message to people out there who maybe over the last five or six years have started to be? I don't want to say critical, but maybe they they're starting to doubt the honesty of news or the objectiveness of news what would you say to these people Whew, that's such a big question i mean building trust in news is everything right i should plug i'm actually doing a panel next month with the skirball about building trust in news are you really i really am um look i you know when we talk about objectivity like the point of objectivity is that every viewer should have the opportunity to see themselves in a story or their point of view in a story that it at least gets acknowledged. And we strive really hard to not just both sides, every side, but in the meantime, center stakeholders. And I think that that's the best way to do it because you're bringing in the humanity. Like these are the people who are actually impacted by the policies, by the law enforcement agency, by the city's failure to address homelessness. We're going to center these stories and try to air them as objectively as possible. Like I said, I try to give people agency because you're sharing your story. This is your story. This is how the world worked out for you. And I just think there's something incredibly human about that and empathetic And I think that's the reason that, you know, what we're doing is really resonating with people and that, you know, fortunately, a lot of my stories have resonated with people because we just always center it on real people. And if you can't find a real person that the story impacts, then why are you doing the story? Right. Yeah. Well, 
Kate, thank you again so much for spending time with me today. This was super fun. I'm so glad to hear that. And um, download the Roku app. Yeah. What was you the just other Google? App? You just search for Spectrum News on your or it's on Apple TV too. Good. We're on cable. You can find me on social. Yep. Yeah. And um, and so that's that's news to me. If you don't have, if you don't subscribe to to Spectrum, but you have the internet service, yeah. Then we, we can have an see app. You. Yeah, you can download the Spectrum News app on your phone. Love All our it. stories that go on there. You can stream us. It's great. Thank you so much for your hard work. Oh, thank you. Thank you for doing this podcast. How great was Kate? You know who we'd watch television with on an app for the news on our phone? Our Patreons. When you stoke us, you're saying, Tony Jordan, you only took a month off for summer? You should have taken two. Here's some cash so you can take some three-day weekends going forward. So shout out to our Patreons, Nancy Rahman, Sean Atlow, Matt Mills, Sean Wallace, Greg and Molly, Jamie Taylor, Mark Johnson, Kira Ann, Barney Grinky, Ben Welsh, Jen Adams, Trevor Wilson, Bree Wild, Dougie Gyro, Christina Up North, Robin Carey, Adam Shorn, Ben from Down Under, Chris from the ATX, and Gregor. To be a Patreon, all you got to do is go to patreon.com slash here in LA and give until it hurts you. Also, shout out to our Angelinos. To be an Angelino, all you got to do is PayPal or Venmo, 25 bucks or more, and we will list you on the Here in LA website or Medium blog forever. Special shout out to our newest Angelino, Sean Atlow. Merci beaucoup. Just send your hard-earned cash to busblog at gmail.com. Want to support us, but money in this economy? You can still help. Post your favorite episode on your Facebook. You know, anytime somebody does that, either Jordan writes me or I write Jordan, and we're just so happy. Our little hearts just warm, and it doesn't cost anything. So you know what? Post two. We've got now 101 episodes. Just post one or two and help out the children of the world. If you want, you can tweet something nice about this. You can thread it. You can uh, social networky it. I don't know what you can do with it. Put it on Friendster. Anytime you see me tweet about an episode, just retweet it. And for God's sakes, tell your friends. Tell them how Here in L.A. is spelled and that it's on Apple Podcasts and Google and Spotify and Amazon. Here in L.A. is produced by myself, Tony Pierce, and a man who just played pickleball with a movie star, Jordan Katz. Editing, mixing, and music supervision by Jordan Katz. Songs by Orgone and Jordan Katz. Special thanks to Cindy for creating the logo, Jen for inspiring this, and brave journalists everywhere doing the right thing for the benefit of the people. Thank you, Patriots. Patriots.